0: You are listening to the Grove Church Podcast, where you will find a message that is biblically based, relatable, and easy to understand. For more content, or to learn more about the Grove Church, go to grovech.org. Good morning. <clears throat> so I just have to be very clear with you, theologically, I don't think we get extra credit for being here during a Seahawks game. Just, I'm just saying, um, at the same time, um, I think that it's at least worth noting that you're here, and I'm sure that God blesses you far more than others, somehow. Or another. So I don't, you know, it's just conf- conflicted. But uh, <clears throat> hey, if you, by the way, are you going to open your phone, smartphone, and you're going to look up the Bible? I'm sure nobody would go on score zone or whatever, but this is what we call a no score zone. So if you know the score or you happen to catch an update for some reason, not because you're unspiritual, but anyway, um, don't let anyone know. And definitely don't let me know. I had the pleasure last week of watching the game at like 115 with a group of us and I didn't know anything. And so the very end, I didn't watch, I didn't see the end until like 3.30, something like that. And it was so fun to watch because I literally didn't know. So please help me out and don't let me know anything. Don't even hint to me because some people are like, oh dude, it's terrible. Just kidding. And then I'm like, well, don't do that. So anyway, um, I love you. Bless you. Okay. So, um, Anyways, hey, we're going to be in Matthew 6 again today, and uh, last week we tackled verses 22 and 23 in this series, uh, and last week was our intro to the whole series called Eyes Wide Open, and um, if you ever miss a message, you can always go online and listen to the, uh, the podcast, or you can watch and listen to the vodcast. Um, so, but um, we tackled those two verses last week, and what I'm going to do today is get into the ones right before that and right after that in Matthew chapter 6. So go ahead, and you can turn there, or go on your smartphone, and, and look it up. And we'll get into that here in a few moments. We live um, in a world that's kind of obsessed by the stock market. And and for some, maybe they're a little more vested than others or, you know, whatever. But um, it's often on the main page of, of, of certain websites. You see it there, you know, the tickers up or down or whatever. And it's always talked about every time you watch the evening news. It's always talked about where the stock market's at. Did it go up? Did it go down? Are we in a bear market? Are we in a bull market? Which stocks should I invest in? Which stocks should I avoid? Um, and, and am I even doing this right? And on and on and on it goes. In fact, if you know this year at all, you would know that 2016 has been horrible for the stock market so far. A lot of people lost a good chunk so far of their 401ks, their retirement, just based on the last couple of weeks. Um, so it's kind of crazy, but it doesn't seem like there's anything more important than making the right investments and to a point that's actually true but but the question is this what if there's a whole portion of this conversation that's entirely missing and the, the catch is that there is jesus talks about investing too but he's not talking about the stock market he's actually talking about eternity so we pick up today in uh, verse 19 of matthew 6 and we're going to walk all the way through Verse 24, I'll read it, and we'll pray, and we'll dive into the text. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness." If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Father, today, this is one of those conversations that if people are new today, they're like, oh boy, church and it's money. And and God, I get that. And I pray that, Lord, no matter how jaded we come into this uh, that we are, that, God, you would settle our spirits and help us to learn because this is some stuff that you talk about. And my prayer, more than anything, is that we would all live biblically, God, that we would desire what you desire and that our wills, God, would line up with what you want because we surrender to you. So open every single heart today in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this segment, by the way, last week when I took out the middle two verses to walk through those, just so you know, I I did that intentionally. At the same time, they fit right in between on purpose. This isn't three separate conversations, verses 19 through 21, 22 through 23, and then 24. They're not separate conversations at all. In fact, they go right together. And Jesus starts in with this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Uh, Excuse me. Make sure I get this right. Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal. And as we get through this, what you you learn when you look at the scriptures is Jesus has a very radical view of earthly treasures. He says essentially that they're worthless with a couple of exceptions. Essentially, earthly treasure is worthless except for a couple of exceptions. The first one is this, that you and I can purchase what we need to live and enjoy life. Okay, And the second is that we can leverage our resources to build bridges to others. And that's it. Don't give money any more power than that. Now, if you've... uh, And again, I'm going to be in a bunch of places if you're taking notes, which we encourage. I'm going to give you Luke 16 to start out here. Jesus told his disciples... There was a rich man whose manager accused him of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can't be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Listen. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450, cut it in half. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? And he told him, "Uh, a thousand bushels of wheat. Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. When you read this, it's a little bit puzzling when you read and go, well, he's talking about being shrewd, and isn't that dishonest? And no, he's not talking about being dishonest. But what he is saying in context is, when he shares this story, and then he gets down to the meat of it at the end, he says, use worldly wealth to gain friends. Make sure, remove from yourself the parable and take this verse and understand, use worldly wealth to influence others towards the kingdom of God. And that's what he's getting at when he finally says, um, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Use the resources that you have to, to buy the things you need to live on and enjoy life and invest it in leveraging uh, the, the kingdom of God for others. Do not give money any more power than that. That's it. In other words, be aware of our ability to identify ourselves with the things that we have. It's easy for you and I in the world that we live in to get caught up in somehow the amount that we make and, and, and what that can do for us and how people all of a sudden look up to us and they marvel at who we are, what we've been able to do and, and they envy us and somehow that feels kind of good because somehow envy feels like, wow, I'm, I'm an example to others or, or boy, others should be more like me. But Jesus is saying, don't allow that to happen. Be aware of our ability to identify ourselves With the things that we have. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 15. Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store these crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you've plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So the first thing to be aware of is our ability to identify ourselves with the things that we have. The second is this, be aware of finding our comfort and satisfaction when we have much and our dissatisfaction when we have little. It's easy, again, to let let money give us sort of this emotional fill when there's a lot, and then our tank is empty, and and we feel this angst in us when there's not enough. In fact, here's a few questions that, that, that maybe would help you filter what's going on in your own heart today. Do you find that your identity is wrapped up in your ability to climb the ladder of success or financial prosperity? Do you... Constantly compare yourself with others and find yourself wanting what they have. Do you always need the latest and greatest? Got to have the newer car, got to have the newest tech gadgets, got to have the new toy or the newest clothing. Do you feel the need for that? When you have what others want, do you feel a sense of satisfaction or pleasure? Do you think that having even just a little more would make your life better? Now some of you go, "Well, wait a minute, wouldn't we all say yes to that? I mean, who who would disagree? Give me a little more and boy, I could do this much more with it. But the point is, if our focus is so much on having just a little more, our focus isn't so much on who God is and who Christ is in our lives, who is our provider. It's the focus that's the problem. Finally, do you take pride in, in giving your address to others? Well, if they knew I lived in, in that neighborhood with the word he stayed in it, or if I lived in, in that area of our, our region or whatever. And, and this doesn't play nearly as well maybe here, although there are spots. But, but if you think down in Hollywood, you think, boy, they live in, in Bel Air. Or they live, you know, just off of Rodeo Drive, which, which begs a question for me. Isn't it just rodeo pronounced kind of fancy? <clears throat> I live on Rodeo Drive. Oh, sounds redneck. No, no, no. Rodeo, anyway, just a thought. But but there are people that literally you pride yourself on being able to say this is my address because you know if they can think of it or look it up, people go, wow, they live there. Hmm. Paul says in Philippians four, which is such a fun book. It's a great book. Just a few chapters. He says in chapter four, verse twelve, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You know what I love about those verses? Philippians 4.13 is one of those that people anchor to, and that's great. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Awesome. But do you notice in context he talks about, you know what? I've learned the secret of being content when I don't have much. And it's through Christ. And, listen, I've learned the secret of being content when I have a whole bunch and I don't get my identity wrapped up in that. Because Christ gives me the strength not to allow that to happen. I can do all those things through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasure in, treasure on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. And the simple question that I've heard asked in the past didn't come from me, but is this, do we have things or do things have us? Are we storing up things on earth where it won't last? Or are we doing what Jesus says in the next verse? Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen to me very carefully. Jesus says, don't waste your energy storing up all this stuff here because it can go away so easily. He says, but store up your wealth in in eternity in heaven. If we trust God, then you and I will act like heaven really matters. Paul is teaching Timothy in, in first Timothy chapter six, teach those who are rich in this world, not to be proud or to trust in their money. Listen to me because many of you all of a sudden zoned out and said, you know what? I'm not rich, but you need to be careful because a lot of times we filter that word rich as well. People that have millions People that have a whole bunch of money, mattresses full of money, bank accounts full of money, jet setters, people that own giant yachts and whatever. But do you understand that when he says those who are rich in this world, he's actually talking about those that have more than enough just to simply live, which is probably most of us in this room. And this isn't just for you, it's for all of us. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud or put their trust in money, which is so unreliable. Do you understand that money is so unreliable? If, if you can rewind a few years ago and you were a homeowner in 2005 and 6 and 7, you're like, Yahtzee, look at all that equity. And then 2008 and 2009, and you went, whoa, what just happened? And it didn't just happen in the housing market. If you had a 401k or an investment in, in, in the stock market, you watch it plunge all the way down into the 6,000s, you're going, what am I going to do? I was near retirement, I was ready to go, and all of a sudden, Paul says to Timothy, make sure that people aren't putting their trust in money because it's so unreliable. And then he gives the answer, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. By the way, that's a great verse for you to remember. It's not that you and I are just supposed to live with with nothing and and, you know, whatever, it's that we can enjoy it But the question is, are we able to enjoy and live sacrificially? Deny ourselves, help others, leverage our resources for others, or is it all about us? Tell them to use their money to do good. That they should be rich in good works and generous toward those in need. Always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will store up their treasure. There's that word again. They will store up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience life that is truly life. See, Jesus says, store up your treasure in heaven. And we go, well, what is it? What is this? It's, it's treasure is not just in heaven. It's how you and I live with our earthly resources and it ought to represent heaven. It's not that our possessions or our use of resources is bad, but there's a higher calling when we understand God's heart, when we understand God's directive to you and me. That that to look at this, it's amazing. And and this was, you could say accidental in a sense, but it never is because God's bigger than that. The first Sunday of the year, we talked about who are we and what are we about? And we said, love God, connect with each other, serve all. And we basically went over the great commandment. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second command is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We believe that's the great commandment. Then we talked about the great commission. Go make disciples. We believe the anchor to our faith is, our ability to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves so they can see the love of God through us and be drawn to the cross. That's what we talk about. That's what we profess. That's what we say is important. We say the church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. If we say those things and we say God's highest priority for us is that, then how are each of us using our resources to do that? There's no trick here. I'm not going to manipulate you. And I know people, if you're visiting today, you're like, here we go, the money thing. And trust me, I get that. And this can be one of those, oh, it's uncomfortable. Should have just watched the Seahawks game. I get that. At the same time, I'm not going to skirt it simply because it feels uncomfortable. I know it's been manipulated. I know there's plenty of, of, of individuals out there that, that, that can say these things for their benefit. But that isn't what this is about at all. Jesus is talking about you and I investing in eternity. And we say, hey, the great commandment matters. The great commission matters. Well, if it matters, then we ought to be vested into it. Verse 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to repeat that after me. Say, where your treasure is. Come on, everybody. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, our money goes where our heart is. It's amazing how whatever we care about, we will figure out how to fund. We, we may say, and I've been a poor college student that wanted to get engaged. I didn't have anything. I figured out how to get a ring. It wasn't amazing, but it was a ring enough, and I got on a knee, and we're married now, and it's official. We've been married 17 years, but anyway. You're like, did he just get married? Don't they have four kids? Anyway. Anyway. Our money goes where our heart is. When I was a kid, I don't know why, but I love the 4th of July. And so every 4th of July, I was always amazed on that day how many fireworks I could amass. I probably was a pyro, and you can pray for me. But, But I was always amazed leading up to the 4th of July. Like, look at all, I mean, this is a lot of fireworks for a kid. But I also remember, because I wanted to have so much fun with fireworks that I would go door to door. Can I mow your lawn? Hey, can I pull some weeds? Can I clean your flower beds? Hey, could I wash your car? I was the kid in the neighborhood that drove you people nuts. Don't knock on my door. No soliciting. Get out of here. But I would go all over the place. What can I do? Because I was looking to buy a bunch of jumping jacks and all kinds of stuff and I still have all 10 fingers. It's a miracle because I would go to Boom City too. Anyway, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I, w- I wouldn't do this. But if I could just simply get into your purse and look at your checkbook and go through your ledger, I could probably guess where your heart is. I'd probably have a pretty good indication what matters. And maybe there's a mortgage payment or rent payment in there. And maybe there's the basics and you got your bills paid in groceries. Maybe there's some other stuff in there. Maybe there's things where you go, oh, I hope it doesn't know I'm buying that. But it's true. Where your treasure is reveals where your heart is at. Jesus encounters a man who has a change of heart because of him. It says in, in verse 1 of, of Luke chapter 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Everybody say that. Chief tax collector. Let's try that again. Chief tax collector. Okay, good job. Chief tax collector, who far more likely than not, was ripping people off, taking more money than he needed to take. And and it says, they were complaining he was a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. This guy was giving opportunity for the crowd to cause him to go broke in that moment. That's how big of a deal this was. And what's Jesus' response? Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Why? Because he bought Jesus off? Because he impressed him with all the money he was somehow going to give in the moment? No, no, no. That's not it at all. What was evident about his salvation was this. Zacchaeus essentially said, I was all about money what it could buy, and the security it provided. But when I truly saw and met Jesus, money no longer mattered to me at all. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And then verse 22 and 23, which are tied directly to this, he talks about laying up treasure in heaven and being generous. And then he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Simply said, because we tackled those verses last week, we're talking about an opportunity with our eyes wide open to live generously. And then he says this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will, be, uh, sorry, either he will hate the one and love the other, <clears throat> or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's some questions for you. Is our faith in Christ more important than our comfort? What do we sacrifice so others can see Jesus? How are we vested in furthering the Great Commission through financial generosity? In the American church, 71% of people who profess to be followers of Christ give less than 2% of their income. 21% give nothing. Yet the Bible is clear that Christians are called to give generously. Why? Why? Yes, because it helps us further the Great Commission. But it also, listen to this, keeps you and I from trusting money. In the Old Testament of the Bible, um, it it teaches that you and I should return 10% of our income back to God. And some argue, well, wait a minute. That's the Old Testament. You're right. The New Testament uses the word generous. Everybody say generous. Come on, everybody say generous. The New Testament uses the word generous. Most theologians agree that Christians in the early church gave far more than 10%. And so we can argue, wait a minute, that's Old Testament. I would say, I disagree. I believe that we ought to do this because it keeps money from being our God. You think to yourself, holy smokes. I'd have to rearrange my whole life around that. And that's exactly the point. Since when does God not ask us to rearrange our lives around what matters to him over us? I'll tell you what, I'm a different husband because I follow Jesus. I'm a different father because I follow Jesus. And that's not to stand up here and act like I'm perfect, I'm not. But it definitely changes the way that I live my life day in and day out all the time. Why would I think that money is somehow separate from that conversation? It's not. Every day that we sacrifice something and honor God with our tithe reminds us that we're putting God first above finances. We're holding back the tide of trusting in money by giving. So what if you took a step? You know, I read a little bit ago about the amount of people that typically give in the American church and the fact that some people don't, don't give anything. For some that maybe you've never given Maybe it's time for you to take a step. For, for others, may, maybe, and maybe this sounds like an irreverent way to put it or, or a bit insulting, but maybe, maybe you tip, but you don't tithe. Maybe throwing some money here and there and, and I would challenge you, maybe it's time to take a step and, and, and tithe, trusting that God is the Lord of your finances. And honestly, for all of us, what if you and I, what if all of us sacrificed and invested eternally so that we can help fulfill the Great Commission? Over the last couple of weeks, I, I think we're all familiar with the word Powerball. I mean, I, I saw news articles and, and, and posts on social media, and, and I heard conversations about the amount. And, of course, it ended on Wednesday when, when three different individuals or groups or whatever, when, when, when three tickets uh, were winning tickets... And um, and so they split $1.5 billion. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing just to think of that amount. Literally, you're talking about $1,500 million. A million dollars 1,500 times. It's mind-blowing. 3-1. And, and and the first family that stepped up was from Tennessee, and they went on the Today Show, and I caught a bunch of it, and... and, and I was watching this, and they took the lump sum, which was $328 million, which is not too shabby. I even had a, a couple of people tell me this. You know, if I won, we'd be able to expand the facilities around here like we've been talking about without a problem. And God bless you for that thought. I get it. I, 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 get, it. I get the excitement. I, I, I get that it's fun to dream of what could happen. But here's a question for you. Is it possible that you spent more time thinking about money you don't have than where the money goes that you do have. See, in America, we have a saying printed on our money. I got a Hamilton up here, $10 bill. You're like, who's that? He was the president. Anyway, You ever notice what's on our money? You know what it says on every one of our bills? What does it say? Yeah. yeah. In God we trust. Here's my question for all of us Is that true? Is it true that you and I trust God more than we trust money? Craig Rochelle wrote a book called Christian Atheist, and he wrote it under the conviction of realizing he's a follower of Christ, but he's, he wasn't living that way, even as a pastor. And so he wrote this. And in it, he says this, sadly, the actions of many Christian atheists indicate that they worship money instead of God. Some even live as though that they believe God exists to help us acquire more money and more things. In my opinion, that's the root of the dangerous prosperity gospel. Although it's true that God wants his people blessed. Many believe that that means that God wants everyone to be rich. Anyone who has ever experienced deep, meaningful love in relationships knows that you can be blessed in more than one way. God isn't against people having money and things, but he certainly hates when money and things have his people. Again, I want everybody to say the word generous. Jesus is asking us to be generous for his kingdom and to invest in a way that will help people see him And his passion for them to help the poor and to sacrifice for the unfortunate and to build his kingdom through our generosity. Father, today, I I get it that sometimes in this conversation, it feels like manipulation, but that's not my desire. My desire is that we would know the scriptures. And then God, we could see the picture that's painted that Jesus literally talks about earthly treasure being worthless except to simply provide the things we need to live and enjoy life as well as God to build bridges toward others. And I pray that we wouldn't just be lip service, that we wouldn't just be nodding our heads on the days where we talk about loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, about, hey, the great commission and making disciples, that God, it takes resources for all of those things. And it's not, Lord, that we simply pray and you all of a sudden make a a crate full of money appear at the front here. God, it's literally that all of us have a part to play, and it also includes our resources. So I pray for all of us, God, to listen to your spirit, to do what you would ask us to do, and to be generous, God, day in and day out. Father, thank you for your spirit, your love, your guidance in our lives, God, and more than anything in this message for all of us, I want the power of money broken over our lives, that it doesn't have more credit than it should, in Jesus' name.